big warm welcome to you. This is the Aware Parenting Podcast with Lael Stone and Marion Rose, PhD. We have juicy conversations about things that matter in parenting and life. We're exploring all that Aware Parenting has to offer from many different angles, and we are so glad that you're here. Hello and a big warm welcome to you. This is Marion and Lael. And today we're going to be talking all about attachment play. So attachment play is a really core aspect of aware parenting. I don't know about you, Lael, but often people come to aware parenting and they'll they'll tend to think it's all about the crying and the tantrums. Mm. But crying and tantrums are actually only one quite small part mm. of aware parenting. Another really key element is attachment play and often this can be a delight mm. to some parents yes. it? and to others not so much yes, yes. I often find I don't know about you that often um uh, when I work with clients that the, the dads will often get really excited about this not again total generalization but often um and particularly in our culture that that um that boys can kind of get more support in being playful and silly and goofy and often mm. before bedtime and often after a session and the, uh, a dad might say oh my goodness you mean I can actually play again before mm, bed <laughs> and we'll talk a little bit more about that but mm, yes I found that too that uh, you know look at I agree with you a lot of people think it is just about listening to the feelings and the crying and those kind of things but when I often talk about play as another mechanism to create connection to help with feelings deal with fears create cooperation cooperation, (laughs) uh, all those things you know parents are like wow okay I can do that Mm. you know that the emotions and listening to the feelings can sometimes feel very challenging of course because you know, as we've talked about in many of our other podcasts, that wasn't shown to us, that wasn't modeled to us. Whereas I think within a lot of us, we always still have an element of play and it can come, you know, easier to some and trickier for others, definitely. So there is, um, it is something that is just such a wonderful tool to bring to the whole toolbox of aware parenting. Yeah. What I love about attachment and play, there's so many different types that we can use. We can we can offer different types we can actually start observing our children understanding how much they are aiming to use play to help them understand things to help them process things to help them heal from fears and to help them actually feel calmer and more relaxed and Mm. what I love about that is that we can use those both preventatively but we can also use those in the moment when things are challenging and and what I love about that another thing I love about that is it's the opposite of behaviorism because Mm. if if you think about behaviorism which is all about the kind of punishments and rewards paradigm it's all about looking only at behavior rather than the causes of behavior often that paradigm is if a child is doing something that you do not want them to be doing or they're not doing what you really do want them to be doing then we need to do something unenjoyable to them so that they will they will um, do what we want them to do so that's Mm. the the punishments or the rewards or the shaming or the kind it's it's usually withdrawing love Mm. and Mm. kind of adding in some harshness and what attachment plays it's the exact opposite of that is when our children are doing these things that we do not enjoy it's actually often, from an aware parenting perspective, they're often actually feeling disconnected and yes. they're often feeling agitated. And what attachment play fundamentally does, it helps children feel connected uh, and it helps them feel much more deeply relaxed in their bodies, which often then helps them with whatever the thing is that we're finding challenging. So it's such a wonderful um, way to really show that 
that these more deeper aspects of children's behaviour actually can really shift with often some quite easy, mm. easy play. Easy. Uh, uh, look, I would absolutely, again, agree with everything you just said there. Oh, and I have, seen, <laughs> I have seen... Uh, I've seen behaviours in my kids change like like that, you know, in the click of your fingers. When you bring some dynamics to it, you can see, you know, like we always talk about in, in our podcasts, it's always looking behind the behaviour. What is our child actually saying to us with what they're presenting to us? And when we can look at it without that lens of they're being naughty or they're being tricky or, you know, they're doing this to annoy me or those kind of things, and we see it as, ah, oh, I really want some connection here or I need some help or I feel a bit scared about something can you help me and we put a, a lens of play on that it's it's amazing actually and it gosh it helps us so much too as the parent to lighten up to be playful ourselves and of course it also brings lots of our own healing as well when we're doing it the other thing I always like to say is some of the things we're going to talk about today and if you do um, look at a, a Letha Salter's book on attachment play a lot of the stuff you'll be doing already because we often do it organically just because our children will invite us into that play or we we have a sense of oh actually that feels good for us so a lot of the things that we might talk about you probably already do and sometimes I often say it's just being again curious about what your child's saying how you could respond to that and sometimes just tweaking little things to to really keep that kind of connection flowing between the two of you mm. yeah. and I think the wonderful thing is understanding more about exactly what attachment play is and how it works and why particular games um, really do what they do is the more we understand those the more we're going to be willing to cooperate with our child when they're being silly and goofy before bedtime when they want to play 27 games of the dentist off they've been to the dentist so we're actually really understanding that games they're not only fun and connecting but they're highly therapeutic and you know very very um, effective in helping children feel more calm more cooperative more centered all of those things yes. that we actually enjoy being around and, and again you've probably if you're listening to this you probably recognize that your children will have brought this to you already we we always come back to the paradigm that children know what they need to do to heal they they are deeply connected to who they really are hopefully and that they're always working to come back into balance and they will often do that through play so exactly as you said playing dentists if they've been to the dentist if they've started at daycare or kinder or school they'll often want to play those kind of games if a new baby has come into the family they might want to um, be the baby they might want to play babies or play mums and dads uh, it's it or even just you know if they've been scared or frightened by something they then might want to play games where they get to act out being scared or they get to scare someone or you know it's it's I always say just watch what your child's doing if you'd like an insight into where their world is at look at them with curious eyes when they play and what they play or even if your child is playing with trains or trucks or something on the floor if you get on the floor with them and just listen to the dialogue they'll have with how they're interacting with their toys the way they play it's such an insight into where they're at you know and I often I used to play with my kids sometimes I'd say if you want to play I'd say let's play families or let's play mums and dads and I'd just sit back and watch the stories they would make up around what the family looked like and that was just such an insight I remember you know once my daughter was like 
And he's the dad and he goes to work all day, all day and all night he works. And mum, she just stays home and does the washing. <laughs> that's, that's all I did, right? And I thought, oh, that's probably what she thinks I do all day, just does the washing. That's it. And so it was fascinating just listening to her perception of what family was. And then, you know, as we played together, her playing out different elements of how she felt about her brother and sister and and where we were in the family. It's really, really it's fascinating. Oh. I always find it so interesting to just you know even when we are playing you know one big component of attachment play is not to guide the play let the child really guide the play and if you let the child guide you within that play dynamic it's it's fascinating to see what they will come up with and what they're working on as far as emotionally So it's really fundamentally trusting children, which is again very different paradigm to to many other parenting paradigms, which are often kind of seeing us as the as the expert and children as these kind of lesser beings. And of course, we need to guide children. We need you know they need loving limits. They need all kinds of things like that. But there's something fundamental about attachment play, which is so deeply honouring and trusting of children and their innate wisdom, and then knowing that they know how to heal, they know how to repair, they know how to bring understanding to their experiences it's such a beautiful thing to really have that lens isn't it when they're mm-hmm. playing of like this isn't just just child just child's play it's actually a very um actually quite sophisticated mm-hmm. and, and powerful mechanism for for healing and development mm, totally do you want to talk about um what alita says around mm, the eliciting play? corporation mm-hmm. as well I, mm-hmm. so uh, i really we both really highly recommend alita salter's book attachment place in there she goes into all the, the nine different types of attachment play how you can use them so again that'll be everything from helping prepare a child for a new sibling to um, what's happened? You know what you can do if a child's hitting and biting and throwing things. One of her lovely things that she includes in there are three uh, three steps to elicit cooperation. So rather than trying to coerce children to do what we want them to do, we can actually make that playful. And when we make it playful, they're far more likely to cooperate. So there are three elements. Are number one is let them know what's going to happen. So that might be, you know, sweetheart. In and of course, depending on their age, we might say an amount of time in. In half an hour, we're going to be getting in the car and we're going to be going to the shops or whatever. So that's number one. The second thing is giving them choices. So we, we've kind of created the container of what we're, our expectation is. Then we give choices. So that might be, uh, do you want to take your books or do you want to take your bear with you? Or uh, shall I carry you to the car or do you want to... Um, run together or you know just finding ways that they can have choice within that because choice is a core need for children and the more they have a sense of choice in their world the more likely they're going to be willing to cooperate it's a big a big factor around children who are not cooperating is is this piece on choice and the third piece is to make it fun so if we are saying you know when you're giving choices about getting into the car it could be like okay do you want to um should we bounce like kangaroos or shall we be your favorite like superhero character and to really ham it up and be silly and be goofy it may just be like two minutes or one minute of going to the car and being this silly goofy you may find you actually get to the car yourself feeling happier um i remember some fun games that uh, a friend and colleague once told me that she used to have uh, she used to get to the car and and get in on the passenger side and start saying 
somebody's stolen the steering wheel oh my gosh where's the steering wheel or that or she'd get into the child's if it, if your child's young enough to have a car seat still she'd get into the child's car seat mm-hmm. and pretend that the child was going to be driving and mm. look confused why aren't, hang on no you try you always drive don't you you know so just being a little bit silly and goofy to actually make these things that we are doing mm. hundreds if not thousands of times just bringing a little bit of play to and those three elements the the letting them know what happens giving them choices, making it fun can really help children just be so much more willing to cooperate, which is so much more enjoyable, isn't it? Yeah, Using all those totally. times of like trying to get them to do stuff <laughs> they really do not want to do. They don't care. Mm. So often they don't mm. care about going to the shops or going to school or whatever the thing is. So finding ways to help them actually so that they want to cooperate with mm. us. And I, I know when often we talk about that, of those three elements of when we're wanting our children to cooperate, often parents can be like, oh, God. Do you mean I have to, you know, I've got to bring that out every time? And it's not every time that you have to do it. And what's actually interesting about it is that sometimes we can feel like, oh, God, I have to dig deep to try and find that piece to bring to my child to get them just to get in the car. But what's interesting is that if you just take that two minutes to connect a little bit and dig deep, then it is often so much easier than the battle of wills of getting your child into the car. And it's not something you have to do every time. So Mm -hmm. it really is, again, looking at where your child is at. If they're feeling connected to you, if they're feeling calm in their body and their being, they are more willing to do what you may need them to do. So it's not that every single time you have to do that, but times, again, particularly if there's you know a a toddler and you've got older siblings and you've got to go pick up from school or kinder and there's a lot of kind of in the car out of the car going to this going to that not so much what the child would choose to do then those things can make a difference for sure it actually really is two or three minutes of that connective play and us bringing some aliveness in ourselves makes a huge difference to Mm. the outcome of what's going to happen yeah and it can get more and more automatic then can't Mm. it not in a not in a kind of not a live way but it just can be like oh that's just how we do it we you know getting in the car is fun because it's going to there's going to be some element of a little bit of playfulness which is more enjoyable for us as well isn't it so often we're like oh my gosh i need to do this thing again and and another piece we always talk about this too and we'll go through in a minute a bit about the different types of play and we really recommend going and checking out aletha salter's book because it has so many beautiful examples of what you can do with play is to really i guess check in too with yourself around how you feel about play because for a lot of people if they weren't played with as a child play can feel very foreign for them and it also can bring up your own feelings of having to play with your child as well Mm. I remember my I never have any memories of my mum and dad playing with me as kids I remember the only thing my dad did he would wrestle with us that was a kind of one thing that he did but never really had elements of play and I remember witnessing when I did have my own children my mum would come over and look after my kids she would play with them and it really it brought up lots of feelings for me because I was like, well, she never played with me. And I used to think it was hilarious. I'd go out and my mum would stay home and play with my kids. And I would come home and my house would be trashed because mum had done nothing but play with them for hours. And I'd walk in the door and she'd have fairy wings on and they would have had the best time. And I thought, oh, wow. You know, in the beginning, they felt feelings for me around that. But then I realized, you know, probably when I was little, my mum didn't have the capacity to play. You know, mm. there was a lot going on in her world. There was a lot of stress. Whereas now as a grandmother, there 
it was only just joy and, and love. And, and we talked about it and she actually said how healing it was for mm-hmm. her to have grandchildren mm-hmm. to move into being able to play free, freely. And she almost used to get up and walk out and look at me and laugh like, okay, so I trashed your house, but bye. <laughs> and I used to think, that's okay, I can clean up. You know, what I've loved is that you've been present and played and, you know, have created just some beautiful memories, you know, and healing as well. So it is, I always again encourage parents to just tune into how does it feel for you when your child asks you to play or that even that piece we're saying about trying to be a bit playful, you know, does it come naturally to you? Do you find it really hard? Do you have to dig deep? And do you need to kind of sit with that a little bit around what is your relationship with playing or even having fun? You know, I, I find in my dynamic of families that I do a lot of the big feelings and listening, whereas my husband is so good at playing and being silly. And that's what my kids just adore with him and will often go to him for the silliness. And they all, four of them often rubbish me and go, you're way too serious, mum, come on. Like They always invite me into being a little less serious um, because it's it's more natural for me to sit in the big feelings and not so much in the play piece. And I've, you know, and again, that's because of my story, you know, of, of where I've come from and where I've grown up. So it's been something that I've had to work with for sure. Mm, so wonderful. So we won't clearly go into all nine types of attachment play today. We thought we might talk a few about a few of them. So um, one really wonderful one to be aware of and to understand is regression play. So sometimes um, children, particularly if they're going through a new de- developmental stage and they're actually separating out and becoming more competent, or perhaps they're going to to school and they haven't been before, those kinds of things, or they're having a new um, baby brother or sister coming, often they can start um, regressing um, and they might start suddenly wanting to drink a baby's bottle or being treated like a baby or talking in a baby voice. And it can be easy for parents to get worried or frustrated and try to get, you know, to get this child to, to be the age they are. But really understanding this is actually the child initiating regression play. And regression play is a really normal and natural part of a child's development you know unless of course always trust yourself if you're ever concerned about anything that your child's doing please trust that and and seek extra help but often it's actually a way of them just um, sometimes going back and, and healing some things that they perhaps didn't do the first time around perhaps getting that extra reassurance that even though they're, they're becoming more independent that we still love them and we still are, are there for them so actually actually joining in and really making the most of that and you know it might be if they're wanting to be a baby look at those little tiny baby toes and cuddling them up in a blanket and doing the kinds of things that you would have done with them when they're a baby and again really trusting them that they know what they need and that they will in their own time come out of that and actually often move into even more um, of that next stage of their development so that can be a really helpful one to actually understand what's going on rather than judging um, or worrying. Mm, definitely. And I, I find sometimes many experiences I've, I've found when my children feel a, re- a little bit stuck around doing something. And I, I really think, you know, we've done this a lot with kids, my kids who've had homework at times. So even up until you know, into high school when they've been really resistant to do homework or they feel like they can't do something, they're silly or they're stupid or they don't get it, instead of kind of like, come on, let's just try harder, is to just create a lot of silliness and laughter or just go, that's it, we're never doing homework again, come on, let's just go do somersaults or let's do something that 
you know, kind of breaks whatever's going on and creates some laughter. And then we'd move into playing games where we just can't do stuff. Mm. And, and I would always be the one who just couldn't do things. I couldn't get it right. I could never do it. And, and often it just created a whole lot of laughter because the laughter is the key thing with attachment play. What it does is it, it helps release stress. It actually creates oxytocin in our system, which is that beautiful bonding hormone. It also is a feel good hormone. It makes us feel more relaxed in our body. It actually also is the hormone of love. So we feel more open and willing. So when we laugh and when we can, you know, take away that, that element of resistance and tension, and we create some laughter and play around it, then that resistance around, I can't do this, or I'm not good enough, or those kind of things begin to melt away. And I had seen that where my daughter was struggling to do even three questions on homework and I was sitting there trying to, but just this darling and that. And then I was like, oh, let's just stop. And we, we were just silly for a bit and we played and we, I don't know, I think we were throwing like a ball at each other and she kept hitting me in the head and laughing hysterically. And for 10 minutes of that, and then we came back and she was like, okay, let's finish the homework now. She was willing to do it. We just moved through it really quickly and it was done. And it was quite interesting. And, and that, that you can apply that also to kids who don't want to get dressed in the morning or, oh, you know, that, that's yeah. a big one when children don't want to put their shoes on or you know to go when they well when for my girls particularly they could never decide what to wear like that was a huge sweet spot for them they just didn't know what clothing was going to feel right for them so seeing that there was you know some resistance there or there was a sweet spot around it you know I would be like all right then I'm just going to have to wear your clothes for the day and I would try and put their clothes on or I'd stick socks on my ears or just anything that sometimes was creating a little bit of laughter and and connection within it and then doing that for five or ten minutes often then they would willingly get dressed and and you know sometimes there were deeper feelings underneath that as well but you know always looking for those elements of how can I create some connection and play here and maybe that's all that's needed to soften those edges that they've got that is allowing them to move forward and and move on for the day yeah so really that whole you know around bedtime putting pajamas on uh, teeth brushing again can really be helpful because again often children don't really care about their teeth Mm. and brushing their teeth so joining in and making it playful there are all kinds of games you can play you can pretend to to brush their everywhere else and but you know brush their armpits oh your teeth are mm. feeling a bit soft today or you know mm. just brushing all different parts and pretending you're brushing their teeth or you know pretending that the toothbrush is making a little squeak every time it, it touches their teeth there are just so many games that we can play and again that can really turn something that can be come a struggle and know frustrating for everyone into actually something that feels fun and and connecting Mm, absolutely and I I mean I think too we can use play as we're saying before in a moment like when we're trying to create cooperation we can also use play where kids are in situations where they're feeling really unsure or a bit shy or being able to Mm. you know use some play sometimes can help them just feel a little more at ease you know I, I remember my daughter middle daughter was often very shy in new situations and so I would, she'd kind of hide behind my leg and I'd bend down and just go, let's pretend we're invisible and nobody can see us, you know, and she'd go, okay. And just even five minutes of just letting her know, I'm with you, I've got you, we can be invisible people. And she would just soften because she'd be like, oh, okay, this feels a bit better for me to be here or I know that you're with me, mom. And and then she would slowly warm up, you know, because she was quite often, she really needed to suss out a situation 
before she would, you know, um, talk to other people or interact with others. So sometimes it is doing it in the moment when you can see your child needs help. You know, that can it can be as part of um, trying to create cooperation, and it also can be part of maintenance in the sense of having present time or special time with your child, where for that certain amount of time we play with our child, and whether that's for ten minutes, whether it's for twenty minutes, but the goal is just to completely connect with them and play whatever they want to play with the idea of just filling up their cup you know completely just giving them your presence and creating laughter and play and all that kind of beautiful stuff together so that they feel they have you that it's, again it creates more and more of that connection so that they have more reserves in their tank on some level for whatever's going on in you know throughout their day Yes, yeah, so separation games can also be amazing, especially if children who have big feelings around separating. So there are lots of wonderful things, again, that you'll be often playing, like for younger children or, or babies, peekaboo games, mm-hmm. hide-and-seek games are really playing around with that edge of uh, you're there and then you're not there. So laughing around that will help them release feelings around it. There's a really great little one I love, the approach avoidance game. You know, mm-hmm. if, it, if perhaps you're dropping your child off somewhere and you might they may be a little bit unsure is getting hold of their hand and and maybe you've parked the car and you run kind of halfway to the place holding hands and kind of touch the lamppost or something say okay and we've run back to the car and then should we run a little bit further this time and running a little bit further and touching the the fence perhaps and then running back to the car and go oh we made it and so that can really help children with it's really often putting into action the the kind of feelings that a child has so if they're feeling reluctant they like want to go but don't want to go those kinds of games they're, they're actually getting to play that I want to go there but I also want to stay at home and hide with you so it's really bringing play into those things so they can really get to to kind of act them out and feel the feelings but have that support of mm. us there with them to to help them feel more confident mm. in their lives I, I another beautiful story around something like that is um one time my daughter she must have been about seven or eight went round to the shops on her own just from where we lived it was a really short walk and there was a woman who was I think maybe drunk or something and yelled at her and, and she got a really big fright and it really scared her and she came home and she cried and she was shaking and she was feeling really um, you know she was feeling really rattled by it and so I said to her okay what do you need to do to um, feel powerful again what is it that you would like to do to help the situation and and we started off by I said to her what if you could really say to this woman all the things that you wanted to say and she was like okay and I said let's pretend I'm the woman and you can yell at me all the things you wanted so she was like go away lady and you're scaring me and and then she kind of laughed after she'd say it and then I'd say okay what else do we need to do what do you want to play so we can um, help these feelings in your body and she said I know let's be Indians and let's go hunting and I was like okay and so we made these like toy bow and arrow things and we I said to my husband and my son oh we're just going to go play a game now where we're going to go find people and we're going to be the ones that are powerful so if you see us you have to run away and all this kind of stuff so we then ended up playing this huge game around our house of where my daughter and I together were the ones who were going to find things and to to capture them and all this kind of stuff so she played out so much of that 
I was really powerless by being in this situation to now I have more power because I'm choosing, you know, how this game is going to go. I'm choosing, I'm the one that's in control of capturing people or those kind of things. And we did it and, and laughed and laughed and laughed for about a good hour. And afterwards I said to her, how does it feel? And she said, better. But then she said, we might have to play it again tomorrow. And I said, okay, we can play it again tomorrow. And we only did it a few times. And then I could see that it just, there was no story in it for her anymore. It was a beautiful way of her saying, you know, this is what I need to do. And look, sometimes you could ask your child, depending on their age, what would you like to play to help with this? Or it might be that you can just set up some some gentle guidance around you know if they have been really frightened by a dog or something like that you could play a game where they have a puppet you know that's a little soft panda and you as the parent becomes really scared of the panda and you run away and you feel frightened and often your child will think that's funny and they'll come closer to you and you'll get frightened again and and you'll find that often the child will be like it's okay um, um, you don't need to be scared mummy or those kind of things and you'll see sometimes just in if you're really curious around the play that they will work Work through some of those feelings just themselves just by the opportunity of having space to play I would also add to that it's super important just to read your child's body language to to read how they're going with that to really tune into does this feel a bit too much or where that sits because what we don't want to do is re-traumatize children and we don't want to yes. create more fear or disconnection so I always just be curious and watch. You might have an idea of a game that you think is going to be brilliant to help them with something, but they're just like, no, there's just no interest for them. And then you might do something completely random and they think it's absolutely hilarious. Yes. Um, so just keep following the laughter. You know, that's a really beautiful, uh, I think, thing to think about when you're doing this kind of play. Keep following the laughter. Follow you know if they're laughing because you make the same fart noise again and again and again like keep doing it until they're not laughing in that sense of that they will have moved what they need to move from their bodies you know with with that laughter yeah so i'd love to talk about a little uh, a little bit about the relationship with crying so we don't ever recommend um, trying to help a child laugh if they are already crying because Mm -hmm. crying and laughter are two separate um, healing mechanisms so if your child is already crying, it's really important to actually listen and be there and if we're, if we're able to be as present as we can. However, when we've done all these different forms of attachment and play, sometimes we may find, yes, that's our child is completely then feeling more relaxed or they've worked through that thing that they were working on. But we may also find that after having that time together, that perhaps at the end of the play or perhaps maybe even a half an hour later or later on that day, they suddenly have a really big reaction to maybe, I don't know, you've run out of um, cookies or you put the red bowl in the dishwasher or, um, I don't know, they can't find one of their favourite toys and they will suddenly have a really big cry over apparently nothing. And often parents will say, but you know, I've just spent all this time playing with you. But actually that is part of how the psyche works. When children feel deeply connected with us when they've done all that lovely oxytocin releasing when they've actually released some of these lighter feelings often that that attachment play helps them with the the powerlessness and the fears those kinds of things is then it actually can uh, give space i see it as a little bit like a a pressure cooker these these lighter things have been released and often it actually gives space then for the deeper feelings to show up so that will be in the form of um you know being a big cry or a big tantrum and that is part of the the they have gorgeous natural healing and relaxation mechanism. So if we can then actually be present with them and listen. And I'm right here, sweetheart. I'm listening. I'm going to stay right here with you. 
um, and be there with them through that process, then what we'll find is if you observe your child afterwards, that they will generally be much more relaxed and calm. They'll make eye contact. They will be generally they'll be more cooperative. They'll often sleep more peacefully that night. We'll see all these really observable differences in their body, in their feelings, in their behaviour actually show us that these are natural inbuilt inborn healing and relaxation mechanisms that every single human being is born with and what we're doing with attachment play is we're really cooperating with those that children are always trying to help uh, to show us how to help them feel more relaxed how to help them sleep more easily how to help them cooperate more and often it's just we don't quite understand how to do that so that's why attachment play is so magical yes i, I just that, that point is so powerful in my world and so many people I work with is that children actually know what they need to do mm. we just sometimes miss the cues so you know if you are new to aware parenting or to this concept of play attachment play I would just say to start with just let your child invite you into their world and or you could offer say do you want to play together and just see what the child chooses to play and trusting that they're moving towards playing stuff that is going to help them so the more we can be curious about and stay open to it our child will just keep showing us what they do want to play they'll ask for it yes. can we play the and then again you know, the often. game or can we do this or can we play those ones you know one of the the little bits i would like to say just about play is that we really don't advocate tickling in oh, um a web yes. parenting because um tickling even though it can seem like the child's laughing and we can have a lot of fun it can often bring a lot of feelings of powerlessness for a child particularly if you are on top of the child tickling them um and the child you know even though they're laughing doesn't have the ability to say stop it can feel very overwhelming you know i have clear memories of being pinned down by my older brother and being tickled and and hating it because i would start then coughing and it's it's one of my things i really dislike mm. and so with tickling games we really say if you do tickle or, or your child wants that then do it in a way where they are able to get away so you might just say, i'm going to tickle your feet even the idea of being tickled is what creates the giggling for the children you know i'm going to tickle your feet but so they can move their feet away so that they're in control of what happens within their body or you could play it where they tickle you and for me with tickling from a um, a safety point of view particularly with my sexual education work tickling games in the sense of just you know again having those boundaries around it are an excellent way to teach about consent so that you might set up some rules go I'm going to tickle your feet but when you say stop I'm going to stop and so when the child says stop you go oh well done you said a big stop you know I heard that stop and if the child tickles you when you can say stop you know that you really pause and say to the child oh well done you respected my stop you know it's a wonderful way to really bring in the idea around consent and boundaries particularly with other people's bodies so I guess the thing with tickling is and sometimes kids will really say I want you to tickle me but often what they're saying is I want to feel connected to you so if that's something that they love doing try and just find a way to do it where there is lots of ability for them to move away they can say stop in a big voice you know that there is more power for them within that do you have anything else to add on that yeah, I often say I have a bit of a three-second uh, suggestion. Like if you're going to tickle them, it might be like, like three seconds and then move mm. away because it's that. It's also that nervous system thing. And again, if you mm. have been tickled, you probably remember that it's like an overwhelming um, sensation to the nervous system having yeah. that much stimulation. So yeah. 
you know that often can be or even just getting as you were saying just kind of coming close to them and kind of mm. almost three seconds or just kind of touching their mm. not almost not touching mm. their skin and if you if you actually um if you watch videos of kids being tickled you can hear the laughter that children laugh with when they're being tickled is often there's a lack of manic quality to it it often there's an element of distress you can hear in the laughter whereas when children are naturally laughing because Mm. things are feeling good and funny it's a very different sound and a different quality so we really recommend just being mindful around that you know of course tickling can be beautiful to create connection but it's it's just being mindful about how we do that with children you know Mm. so that they again it's always about helping them feel particularly around their own bodily autonomy but also about feeling you know that they have say and they feel powerful in the dynamic you know with you as well Mm, thank you Mm. so important so important Mm. thanks now yes so so really i guess our invitation to you is to just you know tune into how you feel about play firstly i would just you know check in with yourself around that do you have memories of playing with your parents what is it that you loved playing when you were a child maybe there's some insights into what you might have been working through as a child and also being curious around what does your child love playing at the moment what do you think they might be working through or trying to understand or process because of what they're playing so that might be a um some good insights into where your child's at Yes, and in terms of further resources, again, we so highly recommend Aletha Salter's book, Attach and Play, such a gorgeous book, and again, so full of lots of um, ideas and really a deep understanding of what's going on. Uh, I also have a course called Attach and Play, which goes deeper into all the different types and when and how you can use them. Anything? Oh, Lawrence Cohen, Mm. Playful Parenting, that's also a really great um, book, which, which... gives lots of wonderful ideas that I, I still use so often and talk to parents so often that I really highly recommend the flower pot head game. I'm not going to mm. even tell you what that is, so you can just have a, <laughs> have a little wonder about what that game may be. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. And look, play is definitely one of the most magical parts of having children and and I think if you are willing to step into their world for a while and see how play can be just one of the most amazing tools to create not only connection but to help your your child process and move through big feelings or fears but also it just goes a much funner way to live when we laugh more when we laugh more we be we be that's excellent English isn't it where we laugh more and we um we be silly it's good for us it's so I mean we as adults need to play more yeah yeah yes so thank you for being here and listening to this um this podcast on play I hope it's given you some insights and and some thoughts around stuff that you can bring to your family. Yeah, and I actually have one more little thing. If you want to have a little bit of a laugh now, I recommend going and Googling, go getting on YouTube actually and look up um, laughing on a train. So there's lots of videos about one person that starts laughing and and everyone joining in. That can be a really helpful mm. thing for us as adults. Mm. So anyway, mm, thank you beautiful. so much. Lots of love. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the Aware Parenting Journey. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Aware Parenting Podcast. You can find more about Lael at www.laelstone.com.au or find Marion at www.marionrose.net. We wish you much compassion and grace on your parenting journey.